Bears. Brown, black, polar, poo, or smoky, we're all familiar with bears in some way or another. But what do we actually know about literal bears in the wild? Personally, I don't know all that much. So today I'm joined by Dr. Christy Sampson from University of the Ozarks to discuss all things ecology and bears. You can look forward to hearing about the importance of bear poops, how microplastics are entering all organisms, what to do if you meet a bear, why bears are a keystone species, and what the heck that even means. So without further ado, welcome to the first episode of Bear Necessities. everyone, my name is Katherine Nash and I am your host for this podcast. Today we're joined by a very special guest who is an inspiration to me and many other students here at the University of the Ozarks and beyond. Can you please introduce yourself Dr. Sampson? Sure. Um, my name is Christy Sampson. I am a assistant professor here at University of the Ozarks. I also have research affiliations with the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute um, over there in D.C. and then up at the University of Calgary where I did my postdoc and I'm an adjunct professor at Clemson University. So lots of different sites out and about all working with wildlife though. What piqued your interest in ecology and wildlife ecology in particular? So I had originally started out as an undergrad studying engineering. So I did eventually go on to get my engineering degree, but I got a little sidetracked Mm -hmm. and I started doing some summer work with one of the graduate students. And I realized that I would much rather spend my summer out in, at that time it was Northern Michigan, but since then all around the world, Mm -hmm. uh, looking at plants, looking at animals. So I do a broad range of ecology, but most recently have been really focusing on uh, either ecosystem, aquatic health, or wildlife conflict issues. Could you tell me a bit more about your research experience with large mammals? Sure. Um, So I have done... uh, I did a project, I did my my master's work in Sri Lanka with uh, how elephants use different parts of their ecosystems, particularly within national parks in Sri Lanka, and how things like human disturbances like fire or invasive species impacted how they moved and which parts of the habitats they used. And then I did my PhD work in Myanmar. Originally, I was supposed to be kind of building off that first project where we were gonna look at the movement of the elephants through the ecosystem, attaching GPS collars and tracking them where they go. But unfortunately, a lot of them ended up getting poached. Over half my study sample ended up dying or their collars stopped working. So we had to switch kind of mid-project and that's really where I started working on a lot of this human-wildlife conflict and human-wildlife coexistence types problems, which are all over the world. Um, so kind of since then, I've worked with um, some projects in uh, in Russia. I went over, looked at some human tiger and human leopard conflict issues in the Russian Far East. I did a little bit of human bear conflict in um, Yellowstone, Greater Yellowstone area, and then some other projects working with, I said, um, with some of the aquatic ecology, um, some microplastics in the environment, conserving endangered species such as bull trout, red wolves, pretty much all over. All of the things. All, <laughs> all of, of the, the things. things all the time, everywhere. Mm-hmm. You said you did some bear-related research mm-hmm. before. Could you 
Elaborate. Sure. Mm-hmm. So this was a project that was actually sponsored by the Department of State. And the project was we had some Russian scientists and American scientists. And we went over to Russia and learned about some of their human wildlife conflict issues with the uh, moor tiger and the leopards over in the Russian Far East. And then they came to the U.S. and we did a little bit of work in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, particularly around Grand Tetons and National Elk Refuge, looking at how people deal with having bears as neighbors and the sort of strategies that are effective in allowing people and animals to cohabitate an area and basically live in as much harmony as possible and what works and what doesn't. Did you find that there are certain strategies that seem to work better than others, or how did people handle it? There are as many different solutions as there are problems. Uh, It (laughs) is very contextually dependent on the people, the issues, and every every chance you go, every place you go is going to be a little different from another. So the Greater Yellowstone ecosystem is unique in just the number of people that come to visit. So they have a very high influx of tourists during different parts of the year, mostly during the summer when bears are also out and active. But we also see similar types of issues in Colorado and California, and then potentially down here in the Ozarks, which is one of the projects that we're working on right now. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the, the Ozarks bear project, I wanted to learn a little bit more about um, the ecology of bears and the significance of bears in ecosystems in general, maybe North America in particular? Okay, yeah. Bears are a really important keystone species, so they, they're they interesting in that they're um, omnivorous, so, so they eat both meat and then also plants, so they fill a unique role that way. A lot of keystone species that we think about are usually carnivores, but bears can also play a really important role in the ecosystem. So on the, starting off on the plant side, They're omnivores, they eat a lot of plants, and they have to eat a lot, Um, they're big (laughs) animals. So they also, as part of that, they disperse a lot of seeds. Mm -hmm. So they uh, defecate out seeds all across the ecosystem that they are moving through. Not only is this acting as little fertilizer packets for the seeds to grow and prosper um, wherever they are dropped, but they can also act almost as little rodent food trucks, dropping off little piles of feces as they go through. And rodents can come and they use these kind of caches of seeds that are in the bear poop and they help subsidize rodent um, diets all across America. Okay, so I had to look this up because for some reason it sounded kind of cute. I googled bear poop rodent buffet and came across a lovely article published in the Journal of Ecosphere by researchers at Oregon State University titled Salmon-Supported Bears, Seed Dispersal, and Extensive Resource Subsidies in Granivores. The article has been mentioned in a number of different scientific news publications, but my favorite is the one titled, Berry Gorging Bears Disperse Seeds Through Scat and Feed Small Mammals. This article was posted on the Oregon State Newsroom webpage, and they did an interview with the lead researcher, in which the researchers state, Our study shows how small mammals can benefit indirectly from salmon through high bear densities that salmon support and the resulting seed-filled scats on the landscape. Not only are small mammals spending months feeding and fighting for the seeds in scats, they're also scattering the seeds on the landscape, which allows some of the seeds to become future fruiting plants. So, basically, what, what this tells me is that the big bears and the little rodents are working in harmony 
to help regenerate their ecosystems. Even though they likely don't do it consciously, this still kind of amazes me. Because, like, one of them is so small and the other one is so big. So this prompted me to ask Dr. Sampson. So you said bears are a, a keystone species. Can you explain what that means? Sure. They're, uh, they're one of the species that is very important in the environment, not only just for themselves, but in order to keep the ecosystem kind of flowing and working as it is. So a lot of other species depend on the systems or services that they provide in order to be able to maintain their population. So going back to the plants a little bit, so the plants, they they spread the seeds, they provide food for the rodents indirectly, Mm -hmm. uh, but then they're also really important for things like salmon. So one of the really important uh, relationships that we see, especially in areas like the Northwest, is the bear and salmon relationship. So bear will feed on salmon as they are flowing upstream, bringing in nutrients from the marine environments contained in the salmon. Salmon come into fresh water, swim upstream. Bear go in, they eat them, drag them out of the water, and those nutrients, those minerals that are inside of the fish, they end up decomposing and fertilizing the plants on shore. So you're getting all of the things that salmon are collecting out in the marine systems, bringing them onto terrestrial land, even really far into um, land masses, into mainland areas, depending on how far the salmon go. And this is a really interesting relationship. You can actually tell the population abundances for the salmon during different years by looking at tree rings. So, what? The, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So cool. One of my lab mates did this um, up in uh, up in the Yukon. He studied, went out, he cored trees, mm-hmm. and you could see how big the tree growth was for different years. So if it grew more, it means more salmon? More salmon were on the ground fertilizing the trees that year, mm-hmm. which means that the more bears were out there, or there were at least bears pulling yeah. salmon out to be able to fertilize. And um, <clears throat> they're really interesting in the types of competition they provide. Mm-hmm. So one particular example, so in um, in Alaska, you have both brown bears, which if you're on the coast, you're a brown bear. If you're further inland, you are a grizzly bear. Um, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> uh, so brown bears and black bears will compete for the same resources. Um, before the salmon come, the brown bears will dominate certain plants, uh, plant resources, certain forage uh, resources that are available. So one particular instance is the devil's club, really important understory, very common understory plant up there. So during before the salmon come, brown bears be out there eating all the devil's club. After the salmon come in, the competition for that particular plant is released. So a lot of the black bear will then start eating the devil's club and the brown bear will switch over to salmon. So different times of the year, they can be competing with other bear, other mammal species. um, And at other times, depending on what resources are available, they might not be. Ultimately, that competition is also beneficial to the ecosystem, it, it seems? It can be. It, it helps to maintain different uh, populations, different relationships mm-hmm. of species. Um, it's hard to tell what happens because there's always going to be so many different factors mm-hmm. that happen, especially with things like more climate change as humans move further and further into an area. So bears and humans compete for space mm-hmm. in different areas. So as things change, there's always way too many variables to be able to predict how exactly it will it will shake out. Mm-hmm. But 
That's the fun of ecology. It is. <laughs> never boring. Yeah, there's always exceptions to the rule, and the rules are always changing. Yep. Since we were kind of on the subject of how humans are impacting bear populations, I asked Dr. Sampson to share a little bit about her research regarding microplastics in ecosystems and bears. Okay, so I had originally started out on this microplastics project um, looking at uh, microplastics in freshwater sediment. So water flow can help disperse sediments and microplastics throughout the ecosystem. And this was really interesting because we were going to be working in northern Yukon and uh, Northwest Territories where there had not been a lot of microplastic work done at all. And in particular, most of the microplastic work that has been done has been in marine ecosystems. So not in freshwater, not in terrestrial areas. So my colleagues and I started this project in the Yukon mostly to look at it, how it could potentially, could potentially be impacting fish populations and serving as a vector for contaminants into fish, endangered fish in particular. Um, but part of that work also is the things that eat the fish, which bears, bears really do like to eat fish. <laughs> so, um, so the work that we're doing or trying to expand into will be looking at the abundance and types of microplastics that we find in bear feces. So that will be the start. And then if we're seeing a lot of microplastics, we can break down which types because there, there's fibers, there's particles, different sizes, different materials that the plastics are made out of, which can all also impact the types of contaminants and pollutants that they bring into your body because you are also eating about a credit card's worth of plastic every single week. Um, what? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Even in like plants and everything? Is the plastic everywhere? The, pl everywhere the plastic is everywhere. Okay. Um, most recently, they found it in a human brain. Um, it's in your bloodstream. Mm. It's everywhere. But we, uh, so in a lot of these different areas, it really depends on the um, where this species is, what types of food that they're feeding on, and uh, I guess what's eating them. Mm -hmm. So if it's being plastics, they could accumulate in different parts of the body, but if it's not something, like for a fish, if it's something that's accumulating in the gut tract, humans aren't going to eat the gut tract. So they'll just be eating mostly the, the muscle mm -hmm. or the, the body of the fish. Mm -hmm. um, for us down here in the lower 48, not as big of, as, of an issue um, for indigenous communities, for First Nations communities who rely on especially marine mammals um, and marine organisms for a majority of their food source. It's really important if we're seeing high levels of microplastics in these prey species that humans are eating mm -hmm. to figure out what sort of contaminants they're carrying and um, how that could be impacting our our health um, and it's the same thing for for bear because they are such an important species in the ecosystem in the landscape if they're being negatively impacted by microplastics i'm not sure i don't think anyone is sure at this point what exactly we can do about it but identifying <laughs> the point identifying the problems the first step. yeah i was gonna say first step yeah has anyone like identified negative effects of microplastics or so not in bear. So very little research has been done on bear species. Okay. Uh, that the work that has been done has primarily been in the global north. Um, so again, focusing on those northern 
kind of marine terrestrial ecosystems, mostly the marine, um, but polar bears. So a lot of stuff out of Alaska, um, Norway, those types of countries to the north. Mm-hmm. So not much work has been done with bear, but we have seen negative impacts on both humans and uh, with fish. Hmm. So a lot of my research has focused on fish. So we see inflammation uh, where the microplastics end up, Mm -hmm. uh, different sorts of issues surrounding that. And then similarly, uh, some issues in humans, it potentially can alter behaviors. It can alter um, your immune responses, a whole bunch of different factors that we're still just barely dipping our toe into. Um, a lot of potential, less actual knowledge as we're going forward because it's still a relatively new thing. Yeah, it's a, it's, yeah. it's a new discovery. It's a least. new discovery, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's been going on since we've had plastic pretty much, but we're with increased technology, we're being, we're able to see just how far it's actually mm. expanding and how how much we're immersed mm-hmm. in plastics. Hmm. It'd be interesting to find something that could process it and maybe turn it into oh, something else. That would be that. interesting. Oh, there is? Oh, yes. what is um, that? So there are various, uh, so there are trees that will, oh, okay. that will concentrate, uh, I believe it's birch aspen, but uh, they will um, concentrate microplastics and other things. Um, there is a type of brine shrimp, tripe of shrimp, that will eat it and collect it. Uh, And then there's also, I I believe there's a crayfish species in uh, England that will concentrate, will remove it from uh, the ecosystem that they're they're looking into. So there are probably quite a few more, especially things that already do that collector filter feeding. So clams, scallops those sorts of things bottom that are, feeders and exactly stuff, yeah. catfish probably don't actually oh. don't want, probably don't want to eat a lot of catfish yeah um <laughs> or we should just do a study to see where the microplastics are concentrating within them i think that would be very, very yeah. interesting yeah yeah one of the other students is doing a project on microplastics in deer oh, so okay. she's looking mm. at if it's in the meat or lungs um mm. another uh, a couple of students, one of which graduated last year, was looking at uh, microplastics in lung tissue. So we had tried to push microplastics into pig lungs. How'd dead, that go? Dead, not, not on live pig lungs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Unalived pig lungs. <laughs> yes, unalived. Um, the, the mechan- we need to work on the mechanism of blowing it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure they just all kind of got caught in the, in the top. Uh-huh. Um, but... Huh. That's an interesting, interesting thing to to look at, though. Yeah, because the idea was that you could see if you're inhaling, because a lot of plastic, there's in this, in this booth right now, Mm -hmm. we are definitely inhaling microplastics Mm -hmm. and areas that don't have a lot of ventilation, don't have a lot of good ventilation are worse. Uh, My colleagues at University of Calgary who were doing a lot of the lab processing of our microplastics project. They left out as a control just a clean water sample on the counter mm-hmm. while they were doing all of our other work. And then they tested that just to see, like, even within the lab, how much is of what they're seeing when they process the samples is just because it was inside the building. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot. Really? Um, it was significantly higher than I had anticipated. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we know it came from them is because everybody 
tie dyed or dyed their um, lab coats fun oh. colors so that when so they see it exactly so when they knew this bright orange showed up in the um, sample and it was a cotton strand it came from hmm. the lab coat wow mm-hmm. how do you identify the plastic do you just look at it under a microscope or? pretty much yeah so uh, there are different ways to get it out of the animal mm-hmm. so generally you put it into a solution that dissolves the organic material mm-hmm. and then you're left with usually it doesn't dissolve all the way through the cartilage or the bone, depending on how long you leave it in there. Mm-hmm. So you're left with some plastics, some bone, some cartilage. You put it into a saline solution, and the plastic should float. And then you can take that sample, you put it onto a uh, onto basically like a filter, and you can analyze it that way. And then you can send it off for micro or sorry for nano processing to even a smaller degree. So there was a university that we were working with um, in Toronto that was going to be processing it on the nano level. And you can also start looking at, so not only characterizing the shape and type of the microplastics, um, but also what they're made of so that you can try and source it back to the origin. And then also um, what's on it. So are there pollutants, contaminants, pathogens that are being carried by the microplastic into your body as you inhale, as you eat them? And is it getting to a point in your body where it's going to be causing damage? If it's just passing through, like you're eating it, you're, um, it's leaving with the waste of your body, it, it doesn't necessarily, it's not having a lot of impact, then mm-hmm. it might not be as big of an issue which is entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's something that's being absorbed by your bloodstream, mm-hmm. collecting in your heart or some other major organ like your brain, mm-hmm. um, then that could potentially be a little bit more dangerous. Yeah. Wow. Although this podcast is focusing on bears, we were talking a lot about microplastics, and I was curious if microplastics are impacting any other keystone species or species of particular interest besides bears. And why does this impact to different species matter? So animals or wildlife species can be uh, keystone in different parts of their range. So in one area, they can be really important. In another area, they might not be as important. And that has to do with uh, species of, like abundance with the interactions, species interactions with other uh, wildlife species, other plant species that are around them, mm-hmm. um, different environments, habitats, etc. So they might not be as important in one area as in another. So, but in, in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, um, wolves are also very important um, predators, top predators in that system. So we are interested in looking at microplastics also contained in them. And uh, if there's, ideally, see if there's been any, um, or if we can trace anything back to, especially those really high tourist levels. Mm-hmm. So do we see more microplastics during, mm-hmm. you know, during the summer when there's a lot of tourists there? Um, there is a uptick in specifically wolf tourism um, during the winter, but that might not be a, a time for um, the humans and wolves to actually interact. There's just it's just easier to see the wolves in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when all our tourists come to see the wolves, but mm. millions of people visit all year. Yeah. So we might be impacting wildlife more directly than just producing the plastic. We're probably introducing it directly to their habitats which is a major bummer and not very responsible of us. But aside from the plastics that we're imposing on these critters, 
I wanted Dr. Sampson to share her knowledge of human bear conflict and how to avoid it since she is doing some research with me and a team of three other students regarding the subject. So, um, human bear conflict. It's interesting in different ways than we would think about something like human wolf conflict or something with like feral hogs or um, elephants, some of the other work. Mm -hmm. So, depending on where you are, uh, bear are important species to humans Mm -hmm. um, for recreational like hunting activities. So people still want to keep them on the landscape for that. Mm-hmm. They don't usually cause a lot of issue with livestock, like wolf would. Um, they don't call it like, a, or like a feral hog would. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not digging up your plants generally. Um, they're gonna be getting into your garbage. So mm-hmm. if you're someone who likes to leave your dog food or something in a bucket outside, then that's not gonna be a good good plan for you. So that's, that's probably one of the biggest issues that we see uh, is the is feeding or encounters in areas like either communities that live in bear territory, mm-hmm. um, bears getting into people's backyards, getting into their garbage, um, or uh, if you're in an area where there is a lot of tourism, people crowding around, very excited to see bears because they are big ecotourism attractant. Yeah. Everybody wants to see a bear. And they're cute. They are cute. <laughs> um, very impressive. One of those things, they're cute until you get real close. Yeah. And then their teeth are real big. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but they they can be they can be very dangerous. You need to know how to protect yourself. And so it's very important that you can correctly identify the bear species to protect yourself mm-hmm. because how you react to it is going to be very important because you should react to grizzly or brown bear very differently than you should from a black bear. Um, how so? How so? Yeah. So uh, if you see a black bear mm-hmm. on a trail, um, you want to be big. You want to be forceful. You don't want to be overly excited, yeah. just strong. Like Say. Assert your presence kind assert of thing. Assert your presence. Yeah. Back away. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the attacks that we see are from black bear. Um, so Whoa. more people are afraid of grizzly. Yeah. Um, but in general, if a grizzly attacks you, your chance of survival is lower. So if, if you're looking at a grizzly, you want to quietly back away, get out of their, get out of their space. You're not making yourself bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, giving them space, moving out of the way, and never get in between the female and her cubs. Mm-hmm. Um, for black bear, you want to be a little bit more assertive, be be big, uh, don't run, because mm-hmm. they get, they get, they're a little bit more curious, hmm. so. More likely to chase you. More likely to chase you, and then once they get you, it's. Kind of. Yeah, not great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, in general, um, if you're in these areas that have bear, uh, keep bear spray if mm-hmm. you're gonna be camping. Mm-hmm. Um, caching food or keeping it away from bears, keeping hanging it up in trees, or putting it into a smell-proof container mm-hmm. is very important when you're out in the areas camping, especially in a remote spot away from services, emergency yeah. help if you needed it. Mm-hmm. But in general, the uh, you always want to be safe. Be bear but aware. Be bear exactly. Be <laughs> yeah. bear aware. They're also very smart. So if you have a, a potato chip in mm-hmm. your car that you forgot about four weeks ago and it's just been like hanging out under your car find or it. in your seat, they will smell it and mm-hmm. they will get into your car mm-hmm. to try and get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's 
just something that you never, ever leave your bear spray behind. And have it accessible. I need to get bear spray because I don't have any. <laughs> so, moral of the story here. Be bear aware and always have your bear spray. My final question for Dr. Sampson was what the future outlook for bear populations looked like and how can we help support bear populations in North America or even across the globe? Well, with pretty much any of our large mammal populations and especially those that we that people perceive to be as scary or potentially dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, increasing the general population's knowledge about their ecology, what they do, what they don't do, but then also making space for them in the environment because they're they're very important as keystone species. So we have to find ways for humans and bear species to coexist in these areas, and that's going to include educating the public, finding ways that work for communities to share spaces with them. And it's not placing a lot of undue burden on the communities that are suffering from other stressors, climate change in their own right, Mm -hmm. and then also to have to have to deal with some of these megafauna that also want to share or share the landscape. Mm -hmm. So education, policies that protect wildlife, um, bear species, but also wolves, um, keep these large animals out there um, so that they can regulate and perform the services that they need to Mm -hmm. in the area. Um, There is a lot of hope with a lot of the the newer generations, the younger generations, you kids, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, having a lot more, being a lot more conservation-minded, being a little bit more um, socially aware and... um, I don't want to say accepting of their place, but acknowledging the roles that humans could play in protecting the environment and the ecosystem Mm -hmm. for continued um, health of the ecosystem as a whole. So, I think that was great. Challenges, people living everywhere. I know. And cutting down all the trees. Yes. (laughs) That's really the biggest challenge, huh? People. Well, that was great. Thanks for talking so much. I want to thank you all for checking out this first episode of Bear Necessities. The next episode will be coming out early next year. And until then, I want to wish you all a happy holiday season. And remember, stay bear aware. (laughs) 